Here's a little FYI. When I hit you with that stunner, it is what it is. Some guys go to the knees. Some guys just stay on their feet and stretch your hamstrings out. And I always tell people when I give them a stunner, I said, I'm going to kick in the gut. I'll grab you uh, by the back of your neck and go down. I said, grab me by my waist, grab a base, and go with me. And then it is what it is. And I tell most people, I said, you know, don't put your tongue between your teeth. Because I'm not shooting with it. It's a work move. Yeah. But, I mean, if you go down and you got your tongue between your teeth, like Michael Jordan going for a badass yeah. foot, uh, basketball yeah. shot, <laughs> you're probably going to bite your tongue off. Go ahead, pop off. Me and my click put on. I'm like a young McMahon. I'm here to get your bitch off. Like I'm Rick Flair, little finger to the big balls, man, aka police. Cause I'm over your head like guitar. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode five of the Middle Aged Outlaws podcast. I'm Ross. I'm here with Adam as always, and we are here today to talk about our top five finishing moves. Adam, this is the first time we recorded this year. Happy New Year. How you Happy doing? New Year. Yeah, not bad. Thanks. You. I'm alright, thanks. Have you um, recovered from being blackballed in the podcasting and wrestling industry from Bret Hart after we, we kept him off our top five goats in the last episode? Yeah, I mean, it probably would have been nice to be blackballed. We 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 just need him to find out so we can maybe get, you know, just a little bit of um, heat from him. That'd be good. You're, you're looking for heat? I think from from someone like Bret Hart, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> he, he would just speak about it for years. <laughs> Well, do you know what? I might have a little bit more heat to throw at Bret Hart for this episode, so <laughs> let's see. Let's see what we can do for you. Um, okay, finishing moves. Let's get into them. Um, but before we get into our list, uh, what for you makes a good finishing move? Finishing moves are a really funny thing, aren't they? Because yeah. like outside of kayfabe. Like you're you're kind of getting into the realms of Mortal Kombat and video yeah. games, but it, within kayfabe, what makes a good finishing move for you? I think there's there, there's a few things that I would look at, and it's it's not just about the move; it's about you know how it's sold and things like that. You, you've had so many like iconic moves over the years, and then you know you, you get all these matches where people are kicking out of each other's finishers non-stop and. Mm-hmm. That that's great on the day and on the night you're watching it, but where do you go from there? Then if the next person doesn't kick out of it, are they less than you know? And I just I always think, accepting you know the big events and the big matches and the superstar against superstar, that it should be the end. I think it, it should end the match. Um, I prefer um, there to be you know a, a moving in a three count rather than a, a submission being the finisher. Okay. Um, just personal preference. There, there are some great submissions that have been out there that have been really successful. Um, but what what I you know go more towards is the um, the 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 move and then the three count. Um, and I think I've always liked a move that can be performed on anyone, mm-hmm. regardless of their size and. There's a few things I can talk about when we're going into our list, but you know, you, you sometimes go into a match and you think, well, that guy can't possibly perform his finisher because he needs to be able to lift this guy over his head, and you know, the guy's four hundred pounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, my preference is something that can be performed uh, uh, on any opponent, um, and 
there's there's some appeal as well. I've always thought of a, a combination, like you can see somebody setting it up like one, two, and then the third move is the finisher type oh, yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a few things, but so much of it is about how it's sold. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I think when we get into our lists, we'll see that um, that a lot of these moves, I would say, are protected. Um, probably the, the wrestler that's... It's about the wrestler that's given them as well, but um, yeah, yeah I, th- I think if the, the organisation that the person is in, if they are protecting that wrestler and they're protecting the finish, it, it just builds it up so much better. Um uh, just on your point about them kicking, you know, guys kicking out of finishing moves, it, it, it happens a lot more um, these days than what it did back when we were kids. And finishing yeah. moves were essentially boom, finishing move, it's over, and you yeah. know it's over. And very rarely, and I, I don't even, I, I don't really remember. I, I may be looking back with rose tinted glasses here, but um, I, th- I think when we were younger, like in the nineties, sort of thing, that it, it didn't really happen. Um, that whereas you watch an, an NXT AEW random episode of Raw, you've got guys kicking out at finishers non-stop yeah. almost. Um, like you look at that Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar WrestleMania thirty six match, and yeah. a lot of Brock Lesnar's um, more recent matches, and it's it's basically spamming finishers until you can put the guy down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've I, I think I touched on before. I don't I don't mind it as much in you know the WrestleMania main event or something like that. I think it's a a way of making both guys look strong when that's the appropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes sometimes the loser doesn't need to look that strong. You know, a guy who's been champion twenty times or something like that. Yeah. He can fail to kick out of a finisher, and you can look at it and say, "Well, you know, I, I don't find it hard to believe he'll be a main event guy again because he's been there, you know, so often before." Yeah. But I think um, when when you've got like an up and coming guy and his move gets kicked out of, you know, by someone established, and you have to do three or four of them to actually put the guy away, it does leave you thinking, "Where do you go next?" Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, I've got some examples here of some kind of. What, what I think are, are rubbish, bad finishing moves, um, mm-hmm. and also some dangerous finishing moves as well. Uh, these are more, I, I would say, some of these more dangerous ones. Hopefully none of these end, creep up on your list. Um, we're more older ones. Um, but something that, uh, that we'd posted on the Instagram page was the Beverly Brothers um, yeah. and their finishing move, which was called the Shaker Heights, Shaker Heights Spike. Which was yeah. just ridiculous. One of them lifts the guy up. The other one spikes their head like a like an American football. Yeah. What was I, that? It, it just it looks impossible to do safely. <laughs> I, I, I can't work out looking at it how there isn't an injury every time that happens. Terrifying. That's unbelievable. Obviously, the Doomsday Device. Um, who who did they? They broke someone's neck, didn't they? Henry Godwin. Yeah, I, I think, think that's right. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Um, and any time I think of the Doomsday Device now, I think about that story about Vince taking the Doomsday Device in a nightclub <laughs> or, or, or in a, a strip a strip joint or something like that. Um, absolute madness. But like that was a great finishing move when we were younger. Um, yeah. But you look back on it now and you would never see that 
that was just left up to gravity to decide where the guy landed. Yeah, there's, there's so often when you look back at the matches, the times you're just looking thinking that's that's going to be a broken neck. <laughs> and somehow I think it, it if it did, it... Oh, we lost you there for a sec. Sorry, Adam, go, go on. Yeah, I think, um, you know, seeing some of these, especially some of these tag team uh, finishers and, you know, somebody getting knocked off somebody's shoulders and spinning <laughs> and you're just watching thinking that their head is going straight into the mat and they're yeah. going to break their neck. And it's, um, I think that, you know, they always looked really impressive, but it's too dangerous. I don't think they would ever be approved now. I don't think those those kind of moves would, not in a mainstream organisation <laughs> regularly anyway. Um, there was another move when you're talking about broken necks that um, Pat, who uh, is a fan of the show, hi Pat, thanks for listening. Um, he made me aware of on Instagram. He commented on the, that Beverly Brothers post and um, linked me to a move called the Steiner screwdriver. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Adam, but essentially Scott Steiner puts a guy up in a suplex, then drops them down in a pile driver. Okay, I it, don't think I've ever seen that. It's the most dangerous looking thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a compilation of it on YouTube. Um, if you're if you'd like to raise your blood pressure at all, it's well worth watching. I I, I will just out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> um, some of the more awful um, finishing moves that uh, that I was thinking about before we came on here. This might be controversial. People's elbow. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I think, I think at that stage that he he started using that, he could basically get anything over and make anything work. And I, I think it was a little bit of a nod to the leg drop, mm-hmm. actually. And uh, I I've read something about him jokingly saying, "No, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that in a real match uh, to to other uh, wrestlers." And they were like, "Yeah, he's not going to do it." And then yeah, he did, and the crowd popped. But you know, isolate it from the person who's doing it and the reaction, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um like admittedly he doesn't he didn't always use people's elbows as finishing move, he had rock bottom. Yeah. But um yeah, I was watching a match um with a with a who with a person who was the champion at the time and, and the rock put him away with the, the people's elbow. I just thought you're burying Yeah. Burying someone there. Anyway. Um Another move that, that I felt was just really quite, is it essentially a body slam, but being done round the shoulders was an angle slam? Yeah, um, I suppose he, he usually combined it with the ankle lock, didn't he? So yeah. he, would do the, he would do the slam and then the ankle lock. But yeah, I think, I don't know, were they just trying to play on the authentic wrestler the, the skills? Thing. Yeah. I think so, it's a bit rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, Adam... This is more, I mean, it's the, the move's all right, and you might not even have seen this if you've not been keeping up to date um, with current stuff, but uh, Matt Riddle or Riddle or the Riddler or whatever they're going to call him next week does a finishing move, which is part tombstone, part just kind of landing on the guy in the 69 position, um, called the okay. Bro Derek. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think I've seen this, no. Why is it called the Bro Derek? Is Bo Derek a huge? <laughs> is he a big Bo Derek fan? This is the same guy walking around offering people bronuts and bro- yeah. broger or whatever it is. So yeah. I, maybe maybe I'm looking into it too much. <laughs> but yeah, you've got to assume if you're 
reason you that frozen question that that surely plenty of other viewers are as well thinking why what 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 Matt yeah. Riddle is a huge 1960s movie fan clearly <laughs> so let's jump in to our top five lists of our top five finishing moves hopefully there's no bro derricks or people's elbows or I don't know, Steiner screwdrivers. Um, Adam, who or what is your number five? Okay, so my number five, uh, to be honest, I I messed around with the order of these quite a bit because um, I think it was only the first couple that I was particularly passionate about in terms of the order, but I've gone with the F5 at number five. Um, So the move is popularised by Brock Lesnar. I, I was searching, trying to do a bit of research to find out where, you know, some of these moves originated. Um, and it seems there was a, a Japanese wrestler called Itsuko Mitia, or Maita. Um, oh, I have probably mispronounced horribly. Um, who who created this move and it's 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 evolved a bit over time. Um, it doesn't actually look that much like what Lesnar executes now, which is the lift the opponent onto the shoulders, spin and drop them face first onto the mat. Um, this more involved actually landing like on the opponent, which made it look a bit more dangerous. Um, <laughs> Sounds it. And, and there, there, was, it, there was kind of an evolution from that into a, a, a very similar move called a Death Valley Driver. Um, and then from from that came the, the F5. Um, the, what Many of the reasons I liked it, obviously Lesnar is original run, he comes in, he's this, you know, ridiculously uh, hyped character, he's, they're referring to him as the next big thing, right from the off, and I talked earlier about the fact that, for me, a good finisher, you have to be able to do it to anyone, and, you know, this move, normally, you shouldn't be able to do to some people, but I've seen him do it to the big show. You know, he, he can get basically anyone up on his shoulders. Yep. Um, and I, it's also very rarely, it has happened, but it's very rarely been kicked out of. So um, obviously you talked about WrestleMania, then there's been instances with The Undertaker as well, but it's generally been a pretty well-protected move. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like, um, when he, especially when he first burst on the scene, as, like you said, the next big thing, he was destroying everybody with the yeah. F5. Um and it was really, really well protected. I think it's more in his uh, latter run um, that it became a bit more uh, frequent that people were kicking out of it. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I listed there were a, there were a couple of just when I was looking it up, trying to think of instances when um, you know I've I've kind of just watching popped for an F five, and uh, one of them was for for probably the reason that I thought he'd maybe broken his neck is uh, he, he used the move when he beat Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 19 after he'd Jesus. messed up a shooting star press and fallen on his head. Is um, that one of the worst things that you've ever seen in yeah. a wrestling match? Yeah, like, I mean... Apart from uh, Sid Justice <laughs> jumping oh, off the ropes at oh, <laughs> oh, why have you reminded me of that? Sorry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, because I, I think the other thing about it is that they're obviously putting on a, a bit of a clinic, but... I can't remember the exact order of the matches, but the crowd was a bit dead because I think what most people saw as the biggest match had already been on. Um, was it like Austin? Uh, was it like Rock Hogan or something like that? Or uh, was that was, was that Mania eighteen? Uh, 
he won it at 19 so 19 Rob Costin was at 19 it might have been just an uh, yes that's what it would have been and I think everyone would have associated Rock Austin as being it should be yeah, the main yeah, event no you're right so, right. so the crowd had, had kind of died a little bit which is a shame because they put on a really good match um, and he didn't need to do the shooting star press and he shouldn't have tried to do the shooting not a guy that size you know there was there was no need for him to do it have but, you seen um, the footage of him doing the shooting star press in OVW I have, yeah. It's amazing, and he, eh? And he, and he just lands it. And That's it's, incredible. It's, yeah, and again, I think that he'll have wanted the spectacle, you know, mm-hmm. a guy that size, a guy that big, being able to execute it. Um, but he, he actually, you know, got his bearings and was able to perform the F5 to win it. Um, and the other uh, time that it just jumped into my mind, and I couldn't remember the year, I had to look it up, but when he made his comeback, um, which was 2012, and he, he just walks out on Raw, um, and sort of confronts Cena and just immediately lifts Cena up into the F5 and uh, and executes it and it was a, a very you know exclamation mark I'm back yeah. um, and I'm now you know I will rule the, the WWF again WWE again so yeah it's it's still you know I think it, it came back and just reminded everyone what that move was and on the biggest star in the company at the time yeah oh, I love it I think um, when I th- sorry uh, full disclaimer um, F five was my number two, okay on my list. Um, so whenever I think of the F five, I think of it being like really protected when when he had the classic black uh, trunks and yeah um, when he first came out and uh, and putting Hogan away with the chair shots in the F five on the chair um, when he won the title when he was the youngest ever. Um, winner of the title, I think it was a Summer Slam against The Rock. Or was it two? Oh, no, nah. nah, two thousand two, maybe. That must be about right. Yeah. Um, he was just a beast, and I just think that move just it just typified kind of like what he was and what they were selling him as, just yeah. a wrecking machine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I like that. Um, cool. When I was looking into it, um, similar to you. Uh, and I, I, I kind of read that Lesnar had been watching um, Japanese wrestling and he'd been trying to come up with various things and it had been uh, John Laurinaitis that had suggested to him put these two moves together yeah. and uh, and try and do that. So so jo- Johnny Ace is useful for some things. Yeah, he's, um, I, when I was researching this, his name came up a few times actually. I think he is somebody who, who they maybe look at for finishers. Because um, he, he seems to have suggested a few things over the years. Mm. Not no great at finding one-legged wrestlers, but he's good with old finishing <laughs> moves. Brilliant. Okay, uh, so so F five for you for number yeah. five. For my number five, I'm going with the RKO out of nowhere. Nice. Um, again, originated by a man Johnny Ace, um, when he used to use uh, a similar type of thing as the ace crusher that's his finishing move Um, we had DDP doing it in WCW also a kind of variation of it as a diamond cutter Um, but obviously it's it's been popularised by Randy, Randall Keith Orton Um, and yeah I'm with you that a finishing move ideally should be able to be done to, to anyone and Ideally, you know, like at any time, yeah. And uh, the RKO is, is a perfect example of that. Um, obviously, I got the meme treatment um, <laughs> some years ago, 
which is a uh, you know that, that's quite cool. Um, when things kind of cross over into like popular culture, then it's only good for for wrestling. Um, at least it wasn't for something silly. It was for you know like a cool sort of uh, wrestling move. So um, yeah, Archeo's just kind of legendary at this point, isn't it? Yeah, I'm 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 a big fan, and like you say, the I think the the execution which can be so sudden and you know the RKO out of nowhere and I remember I, I couldn't tell you which WrestleMania it was but I was watching a, a, a match um, whatever Orton's match was at the Mania and it was the first time I'd seen that I think somebody jumped off the top rope to execute a move and he just caught them midair mm-hmm. performed the RKO and I was just like watching thinking that's so cool you know just to, to, to be able to do that to get the timing spot on and everything yeah. like that um, and it it's again been pretty well protected. That there have obviously been instances of people getting out of it, but you, you always know that unless he's up against you know one of the top stars, that in all likelihood it it would be match ending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of instances to talk about. I think um, one of them would be the kind of infamous stupid RKO um, when he hit Kofi Kingston with it, and he and he. <laughs> It took it, I think that's maybe 10 years ago now, it might not be as met as, as much as that, but I think it's around 10 years ago when uh, Kofi was probably still hailing from Kingston, Jamaica, <laughs> and um, he, t- he took it he took it really badly and um, he could have hurt himself. Do you remember this? And Randy's going, stupid, stupid. I don't actually, I do remember there being a programme between the two, because I think everyone hoped it would be the like the breakout for Kingston, which didn't end up happening for like 10 years or something, or something like that, but I don't remember the instance of it. Yeah, um, this, this apparently buried Kingston's push, and then they, I think they revisited it when um, Kofi won the title right. uh, just recently, there, a couple of years ago, uh, and they went all back to it and all that, but... Um, more importantly and, and more impressively, my favourite RKO moment is WrestleMania 31. Uh, you had Randy fighting Seth Rollins. Um, have you seen this? Yes. So they go back and forward a lot and you've got um, this is at the point when Seth is with the authority and he's got two security guards and uh, you've got Jamie Noble as one of the security guards just kind of diving head first towards Randy at one point and obviously gets hit with RKO and the other guy does the same. Um, they go back and forward. Eventually, uh, Seth goes for his curb stomp, runs for the corner, puts his, you know, jumps up, foot on the back of Randy's neck and somehow he flips, Randy flips him up in the air, Seth goes away up in the air, comes back down to the RKO. It's just amazing. Nice. It's just really, really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was uh, I was looking at that a little bit, and um, uh, Rollins was on Talk as Jericho talking about that, and they'd been talking about it um, in advance and and trying to get it right, and they couldn't get it right, uh, so they never ever actually managed to do it before they did it on the night, and they'd been practicing um, and couldn't get it, and uh, Randy was apparently so excited that they'd hit it that he forgot to cover him. Um, <laughs> And the referee, I don't know, I think uh, they said it was Mike Kyoto, I'd said to him, cover him, cover him. <laughs> but it's just, it's just a brilliant uh, a brilliant example. It can be hit out of nowhere, but also just a really cool reversal. Yeah, nice. So yeah, RKO. Um, so yeah, what you got number four? Number four. So 
this this happens to me every time we do a podcast <laughs> and I, I I look at something I think that's one I want to include and then I look for the instances when it was actually used and I'm like how come I can't find more um I'm I'm go I'm still going with it the DDT nice um, so when when I was young uh, Jake the Snake Roberts was one of my favorites he was you know almost always through his run a bad guy or there was even when he was a baby face there was something sinister about him um, I mean he was carrying a snake he gave these incredibly cold promos um, and it just there was, there was always this edge about him and the DDT was again a really well protected move absolutely um, and actually you know you heard it mentioned more than you actually saw it it, it would just be he would mention it in promos he would talk about you know the fact that if all, all he needs is a second two kind of DDT and it's lights out and things like that. Um, so when I was doing a little bit of research, um, this was first performed by a Mexican wrestler named Black Gordman, and that was in the 1970s. So it was then popularised by, by Jake Roberts. Um, a few others have, have done it or versions of it since, but it's just become a more routine move. I remember, I think Mick Foley used to use a double arm DDT right. yeah. as part of his repertoire. Um, and it, it just, it was it was one of those, again, moves that can be so sudden, you know, you, basically you can't let yourself go in a headlock to Jake Roberts or he can just DDT you. Um, he, he was always a bit coy when he was asked about what, what it actually stood for. Um, but the abbreviation uh, comes from a pesticide. Oh, wow. um, but when uh, he was asked to explain the name um, in an interview, Jake Roberts asked, what, what does DDT mean? And he just said, it means the end. Um, just classic, <laughs> classic that's, Jake Roberts. That's dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was a move I loved and, you know, I would try and do it to friends on the, you know, at, at school and all those things you're not supposed to do. Um, just because it, it basically looks like a move anyone could execute. But when he did it, you, you knew there was something, you know, more about it that the person wasn't getting up. Yeah. And uh, for, for whatever reason, I think this is just one of those where, you know, you remember what you remember was cool as a kid. <laughs> Um, but one of my favourite instances of it, do you remember the WrestleMania 7 blindfold match oh, against yes. uh, Rick Martel? Oh, I'm really hoping that's what you were going to mention there. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, like, the, the, the sort of tension of knowing that at a point he's going to be able to get him in the DDT. Get his hands on him. And basically it's, it's a match where nothing happened. You know, they're both like pointing at the, <laughs> trying to help get the crowd to help them find the guy. And then I think at a point Jake falls out of the ring because uh, he gets nudged the wrong way. And it's, you know, probably because clearly they can see, you know, they, they can actually see. It must have been one of the easiest nights of pay that anyone's ever had. Um, and then he, when he does lock it in and executes the DDT and gets, he, he's reaching around trying to find him to cover him because he's, you know, still playing the, the blindfold. Um, gets the cover and gets the three count. So I don't know why, but that's just always stuck in the head as one of my favourite ever instances of seeing it executed. God, how easy were we entertained <laughs> as children? And all those, they would have held them captive in, in that, that building. I like, yeah, that's, that's one of those matches that stayed with me my whole life. I, remember, yeah. I can remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, brilliant match. 
and my, my memory, and I think that when I was looking into it, kind of backed this up, because he never really had a run with Hogan, who was, you know, the guy who would kick out of finishers back mm. in the day and do his hulking up. Um, he did have slight programmes with uh, Warrior at times, but he never really executed the DDT on him. He had programmes with Savage, again, never really executed the DDT on him. And it was one of those moves where I think it, it seemed more important because it was fairly rare. Uh, he, he, he would win matches with other moves. It wasn't always a DDT. Um, so seeing it just kind of felt that bit special. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, the memory I have of it finally being, you know, somebody kicking out of it was Undertaker at uh, WrestleMania. Nice. And that was um, obviously to put Taker over because they were building him at that stage. And I think it just shows the, the sort of esteem the move was held in, the fact that we're going to have this guy kick out of that. That's, yep. you know, to, to help build him up. So, yeah, it was... When I started doing my research, I was like, why hasn't he used it more often? It was it was strange experience, but I still felt it warranted inclusion on the list. That's a great choice. I think uh, a really sad thing about the DDT is it's been completely bastardised yeah. throughout the years um, and, sh and shallowed down to basically a body slab, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I remember, I can't remember what platform it was on, whether it was a podcast or a written interview or something. I remember seeing Paul Heyman talking about how sad it was that people feel they have to, you know, jump off the top of a cage or something like that because all you would need is a guy to execute a move like a DDT or something like that and nobody kicks out of it for six months mm -hmm. and then it's become a big move again. It's It's the fact that... They're used, you know, mid-match as a, you know, very brief spot moment that kind of takes the, the allure of that kind of thing away. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Have you got an impression of Paul Heyman doing, speaking about that or no? Nah, I, don't, I, think I, I think I would have needed some prior warning. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think uh, all of our uh, listeners would just uh, be switching off at that point. My bad, my bad. <laughs> My number four is a little bit of an odd one. Um, you know when you're doing these lists and you like, you immediately have ones that you think about, yeah. um, and then some. You know, like sometimes just things come out of nowhere. You wonder where that's come from. But this is a little bit like this. I think if I'd maybe thought about it more, um, maybe DDT would be on mine because I, I love that choice. Anyway, this is a weird one, but. Um, my number four is a frog splash. Nice. Um, not from one person in particular, but I've got four guys here that I think um, execute it all differently, but all in a really uh, cool way. Um, so we had D'Lo Brown. I know that we're both big D'Lo Brown fans from back Absolutely. in the day. Absolutely, yep. um, His frog splash was cool, really cool. Um, he did it with the. He, he tended to have the chest protector thing. Yeah, he um, he. I don't know. Cracked some ribs and then wore a chest protector for about three years. <laughs> yeah. you, well, Cunning. You can <laughs> you can never be too cautious, especially if Scott Steiner's throwing these screwdrivers about the place. Um, so I, I loved Delo's one with the hands between the legs. He just a he's a big guy. Yeah. Um, he was pretty agile. And uh, his just looked pretty impressive. Um, 
we had RVD, five star frog splash, which was just really impressive. I'd love to have seen that in real life. Um, he was just an innovator, wasn't he? Um, a lot of the things that he did were amazing, but his frog splash was just really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of the, the more impressive sights you would see is him leaping off the, the turnbuckle. For yeah. Sort of the way he extended his body for it as well and yeah. rotated as well a lot of the time. Yeah, that's a good segue because my, my other two, um, one of them is uh, Montez Ford, who's in the Street Profits. Mm-hmm. Um, he does an amazing frog splash. I don't know if you've seen much of them, but um, a lot of the time his frog splash, he's, he's sort of changing direction and he gets up so high. It's, it's really an impressive thing to see. There, there's not a lot of um, impressive things in, in current wrestling, but that certainly is one of them for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have seen it, and it's yeah, it's athletically brilliant. Cause um, I think there's there's something about you expect really small guys to do certain moves, and um, he's not the smallest guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's something just it's similar to what's said about Dilo, you know, something pretty cool about seeing somebody that athletic and being able to execute something that well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my last guy. Um, is where the kind of orig- origi- yeah. origination, is that right? Where, where right. the move originated from <laughs> yeah, that, um, that. <laughs> or, or was popularised in America. So um, I don't know if you've heard of a man called Art Barr, um, but Art Barr was in a tag team in the AAA organisation in Mexico um, called Los Gringos Locos, the Crazy Americans, uh, with a man that you might know called Eddie Guerrero. Um, so Art Barr's finishing move was a frog splash and uh, Too Cold Scorpio had said to him that he looks like a frog when he does this finishing move off the top rope so that's where um, the frog splash came from but um, Art Barr passed away in 1994 Um, so Eddie took this as a tribute to his friend and his his old tag team partner and uh, he'd done it ever since so um, yeah, so Eddie, Eddie took that on, and and again, he's a he was a really impressive user of the frog splash. I really liked his kind of jerky yeah. move um, in mid air, and like he was a little guy, and he he made it work for himself. Yeah. Um, and I I always remember that uh, that first raw when the radicals invaded and they jumped in the ring, and uh, he hit it on one maybe one of the new age outlaws. I'm not sure. Um, he ended up breaking his arm, I'm sure. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and he was in a sling for, for quite a long time after that. But um, I, I, I really liked Eddie. I think in retrospect, looking back over his careers, I've got older. I've, I've appreciated him more than, than what I did at the time. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Which is sadly quite often, the, you know, it's quite often the case with, with um, a lot of things in life. But uh, yeah. He was he was a really good he was amazing wrestler and um yeah, I just I really liked his frog splash. Yeah. Um and and just just one wee extra one to throw in there. There's also a guy that, that did a, a version of the frog splash. It was actually called the Tadpole Splash. Um and that was Vince McMahon's illegitimate son, Hornswoggle. Okay. Just an an incredible an incredible version. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my number four, the frog splash. Nice, I like it. Did did between everyone you've mentioned, they executed it. Did you have a favourite? Ooh, 
I think because of the uh, because of finding out the kind of um, the history of it with Art Bar and yeah, uh, the tribute and all that. I, I like that kind of history to it with Eddie, but I really like seeing Montez Ford do that. Nice. He, he, I'm a big Montez Ford mark. You know this. <laughs> He's the future of this business. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it was one I, I looked at and thought about the, the Frog Splash, and um, I think that the, there were two names that first jumped into my mind, which were Eddie Guerrero and RVD. Um, shame on me for for forgetting about Dilo. Um, you better recognise. I know, I know, and and you, if if he ever heard this, I apologise sincerely. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, I I really liked Eddie's. Yeah, I, there was. There was some in the the fact he was smaller actually added to it for him because mm-hmm. he fought as an underdog so often yep. and it was so often the winning move you know um, I think although he had a little assist I think when he beat Lesnar for the belt that's what he used um, and he was one nobody really expected him to become world champions so it was uh, yeah he made it seem quite special yeah absolutely uh, what you got at three okay number three. I have the pedigree. Ooh, nice. So, um, the the move was created by Killer Kowalski. Of course. Who was the trainer of Triple H. Oh, right. Um, at the time that Killer Kowalski was, was using the move, he didn't actually drop to his knees. It sounds really strange. So, what he did was he, he had the pedigree position with the arms hooked and the, the head between the legs. And then he used it to, he kind of jumped up, but to jerk the opponent's neck. Jesus. Um, whereas, I they called him Killer Kowalski. <laughs> so Triple H um, asked uh, Killer Kowalski if he could use this move, but he was going to add a drop to the knees. Um, and I, I, it sounds like, you know, as his trainer and all that, they had a pretty good relationship. Sounds like he was very happy to do it. Um, and it's it's one that, I, I purely associate with one performer, even though I think Seth Rollins used it for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very much in my mind signature Triple H, um, and I've always really liked the you know the look of it. It looks like it should be dangerous. You know the 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 position you've got the opponent's head in. You're then dropping to your knees. Now, you know logic tells you when you actually figure it out. Yeah, the knees are going to hit long before the head hits, and he's pretty safe doing it. But it, it looks like a, a you know a, a finisher that would cause some damage, um, and obviously, you know because Triple H would have wanted it this way, but obviously it's been protected through the years. <laughs> um, he has at times allowed people to kick out of it. Um, I, I remember an instance. I think the Ultimate Warrior kicked out of it after about you know <laughs> a half a one count um, on a comeback match that obviously didn't go very well but other than you know for a good few years after that for a guy that was needing something to hold his own with the rock as they were coming up then with austin angle undertaker you know all all these elite you know performers it felt like that was a move that you know held up against what they would have had and if he hit it he he could win the matches um so yeah i've um I think we've you know we've talked Triple H in the past, um, legacy and things like that, and um, is is one that I think sometimes the the story around him overshadows the performer, um, and I I thought it was just a, a really cool finisher, 
um, and something that he brought that was original. When he started doing it, I'd never seen it. Um, he hadn't even, in my eyes, although, you know, the history of the movie, hadn't, in my eyes, taken something done by somebody else yeah. and put a slant on it. He'd, he'd created something, his own, um, and it was original and unique. So, so yeah, I've, I've gone for the pedigree at three. I like it. Um, it's a move that's, I agree with you, it's obviously been protected, but I, I don't think it's been un, or disproportionately protected. Um, yeah. It's not a silly move. It's a really, really good finishing move. I totally agree with you. Um, it's one, going back to kind of principles that we were talking about, it's one that you can stick on anybody. Yeah. Um, and it's also one that you can kind of reverse as well. And we've seen a lot of instances even getting back body dropped outside the ring and, and um, yeah. on the mats and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it, it it sits well against the likes of the stunner and the rock bottom, like you were saying there. Um, aye, good choice, I think. Just uh, just on the uh, on the subject of Triple H taking people's moves. Um, when I was looking into the RKO, uh, obviously DDP did the diamond cutter, yeah. um, and uh, Triple H was in WCW for uh, a cup of coffee when he was terrorising, I think. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's right. When he came over to WWF, his finishing move, which he started using, was the diamond cutter, um, and uh, DDP apparently phoned him up and just said, look, like that, I think they were buddies, but he'd said, "Look, any chance you could stop using that? <laughs> you kind of just stolen my finishing move." Um, and Triple H, to be fair, had uh, had said yes, he'd stop doing it and all that. And DDP had, in the interview that I saw, DDP described him as a classy man. Yeah, I, I don't know, know if that was Triple H he was referring to. That. I know uh, DDP. I think had a good relationship with uh, Scott Hall. So I can imagine there was a little bit of crossover there because by that point Triple H probably would have been carrying the bags and all that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I can I can believe that story. I could also, you know, imagine being the the guy in WCW. You know, probably just giving Raw a watch to see what he missed or what happened and being like, eh, <laughs> that guy's doing my move. <laughs> right. Okay. Pedigree number three. Um. We're, we're doing all right with crossover here. Only one crossover so far. Um, my number three, I don't know if you're going to be a fan of this, my number three is the spear. <clears throat> um, slash gore. It's all yep. the same, really, isn't it? Um, my disclaimer for this is that this move is not effective if your opponent is wearing a steel plate underneath their hockey jersey. <laughs> Brilliant. Sorry, Brett. I'm really, really sorry, Brett. Don't bury us again. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, Spear was popularised by Goldberg. Um, and although he's now like a raging 50-year-old man pushing Drew McIntyre over on TV, at one point he was like a total wrecking machine in WCW. Um, and for all their faults, they did an absolute amazing job building him up to be this like one man wrecking machine um, the thing that I like about I'll go on to the other people that use it but the thing that I liked about Goldberg's spear is that it's almost a, I was going to say it's almost a shoot move um, the person taking it a lot of the time doesn't really have much sort of say in the matter mm -hmm. um, they're basically there to just take it 
Um, and he's went through basically the whole WCW roster, hitting everyone from Rey Mysterio to Big Show with it. Um, so it kind of it passes the test of you know being able to be um, performed on anybody. Yeah. Uh, one of my when well, when doing my research, one of the most devastating um, versions of uh, Goldberg's uh, spear was him hitting it on one of three minute warning. I'm just taking a look to see who it was. I think it was who was it? Jamal and Rosie, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it's Rosie. Uh, he comes out. There's a there's a match going on with Jamal and. Um, Booker T comes out to help Booker T after Rico, uh, he off the sideburns fame, and uh, and Rosie get in the ring and, and they're attacking Booker T and eventually it spills to the outside and uh, Goldberg hits Rico with the most ridiculous spear. Like, I'm talking about guys that have been a shoot move. Like, Rico had uh, no sort of say in that at all, but then he, he goes to the outside and he hits his Rosie. He's, he's, smashes them through the barricade with a spear and like do you remember the size of the, the guys i do yeah um yeah they were they're big guys oh, big aye. guys they were really good yeah. um but he smashes them through the barricade it's brilliant it's amazing yeah. I'm, um, I'm a bit worried about Rey mysterio you know just hearing the the uh he took the spear in his time because just picture him going like spinning through the air sort of thing didn't you? yeah <laughs> Um, obviously there's a few other users of the spear um, I loved Rhino's gore um, yeah. maybe just because of Heyman going gore but no he, he was smashing you, you can think of him smashing people through tables in the corner of the ring Yeah, it was devastating the way that Rhino seemed to do it um, on the other hand I feel like obviously Edge use, uses or I was going to say used, he uses the spear yeah, as a finishing move, and uh, Roman Reigns uses it as well. But I don't know about you. I feel like, particularly Edge's and uh, Roman to a, a sort of degree as well, it's a bit too choreographed for my liking. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Almost doesn't I... look well. You know, I'm, I was referring to it being a bit like a shoot move with Goldberg. Yeah, like you, you can see that, but with Edge's especially, it's a bit like let's delicately place him down on the mat. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think, um, I think maybe Edge in particular, I would say that about it. He, he is one of those guys that I, I, I love Edge, and I think he's had one of you know the great careers. But he maybe didn't have that great finishing move because I'm not sure the spear really worked for him. But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. I loved Rhinos as well, and I. I Heyman added to it, but I don't think that was the only thing about it. I mean, the, the, the guy, the guy was a beast, and you look at him and you, you imagine getting the spear from him. That's going to have some impact. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'm assuming you don't have spear on your list. I don't know. I I think you've you've uh, hit on two that were on my you know starter for ten list, um, which which were performed by you know multiple people um, being the. The spear and the frog splash, um, and it was almost my sort of indecisiveness over who performed it best and mm -hmm. who I would showcase that made me think mm, I'll 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 go in a different direction because pretty much everything I went for there was one guy you know or one mainstream American wrestler that actually popularised it, yeah. um, whereas 
I think, you know, Frog Splash and Spear, I kept thinking of other names, and yeah. Uh, but I, it's a move I like, and I think when it's done well, um, does Goldberg still do it? Does he still? Well, aye. No, I think he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did a, the most lackluster jackhammer you'll remember to both The Fiend and The Undertaker in those yeah. god-awful Saudi the Arabian is, matches. I, I don't want him ever doing a jackhammer on anyone ever again, <laughs> so it's probably safer for him to do the spear on someone. <laughs> Um, I do remember when he came back maybe last year or a couple of years ago uh, this is more to do with Dolph Ziggler than it is Goldberg but he he kept doing he kept hitting Dolph Ziggler with with spears over and over and they looked amazing even at that point but but Ziggler's a brilliant seller Ah, he's a great seller probably uh, he sells like um, a Shawn Michaels or someone like that he's just uh, amazing at it so yeah there's probably a fair bit of the credit to go to Ziggler there Okay, let's let's uh, jump into your number two. My, my number two was obviously the F5, which we've got to, so let's jump into yours. Okay, so my number two is the Tombstone Piledriver. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I'm trying to describe it, uh, although I imagine anyone who's listening to this knows exactly what it looks like, but... Um, a kneeling reverse pile driver, um, innovated by Carl Gotch. Um, it's also been used by a, a few wrestlers before uh, Undertaker adopted it. Um, Dynamite Kid used it, cool. and uh, Don Morocco also used it. Yep. Um, but I personally don't have any memories of seeing it until the Undertaker started using it. Um, I think we've we've talked about you know the the ability to perform moves on anyone a few times. Mm-hmm. I'd, I've never been aware of a match that I've watched where I thought he couldn't do it. I'm not sure if he ever performed it on Big Show. That probably would have been the the toughest one to do, but he performed it on big guys like Kane and and people like that. Yeah. Um. And he also had a you know, I think a few other moves that you could get away with if if he couldn't for any reason do the the tombstone. But the tombstone was kind of the first big Undertaker move. Um, ended up doing the choke slam regularly. He ended up with I forget the name of it, but he had a submission hold that he would use at times oh, later. Dear. In his career. Hell's um, Hell's Gate. Hell's Gate. That's oh, God, that's awful. Um, Sorry. And uh, he had the last ride as well, which he, he used at times. But I've always thought of you know the tombstone as being his finisher. Yeah. Um, so he's. Uh, it has been kicked out of at times. I mean, I suppose if you have the, the length of career that he had, um, it's it's inevitable. But there was a, a long period of time where it it wasn't really. Um, when he first won the title at Survivor Series 1991, um, he performed the, the tombstone on Hulk Hogan with an assist of a steel chair that had been slid in uh, by Ric Flair. Nice. So... It kind of, you know, it it protects Hogan to an extent because you, you're left wondering he might have kicked out if it hadn't been a, a chair down there. But it also, you know, sold the move as this, this move uh, got him a win over Hulk Hogan to, to win the title, which yeah. was obviously pretty rare back then. Um, and it, again, it was so rare for so many years to see anyone kick out of it. Um, and I think it was only when we got to you know, the emergence of some of the other absolute superstars like Austin and Rock. Um, Triple H, I think, has kicked out of it. But there's, you know, Lesnar has as well. There's there's like this select few 
um, and I think you would have to be that level to, to be doing that. Um, I think watered down a little bit in uh, the last few years of the career when he was um, putting over you know people like uh, Reigns, Roman Reigns, um, who, who got to kick out of a, a tombstone. But I think for such a chunk of the career, it was a pretty protected move. Um, and it's, it's one of those where I would, especially as a kid, I would have had no doubt the match was over when it was executed. Yeah. And, you know, the, with the whole character, the name was so cool. You know, it just worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it had a, a look of being a vicious move, although from, from the research I was doing, despite one, I think, disputed claim by Hogan that it hurt him once, um, that it, it was generally pretty safe. And looking at it, that's quite impressive. Um, I suppose if if he's got a tight enough grip of you, he can control exactly how far down your head is and things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- there's a few um, instances that I really enjoyed seeing it executed. You know, some um, the the matches he had with Shawn Michaels in the the steel cage towards the end of Michaels' career. Um, sorry, that was Triple H in the steel cage um, just after Michaels' career had finished, um, and it. It just had to perform it more than once on some people. Again, you're talking absolute top level, you know, all time superstars. So I don't have as big an issue with that. Yeah. Um. There was one. I don't know if you would remember this, but there was a. a I think it was WrestleMania twenty nine, where he faced CM Punk, and uh, it was one of those where you you'd started to wonder if the streak would be ended. The WrestleMania streak. It's a great match. It's a brilliant match. And do you remember Punk goes for the tombstone? Yeah, I was just he, funny you, you say that because I was just thinking about this. I, yeah, he he was doing this whole you know all the way through this disrespect you know disrespecting Paul Bearer. Um, oh, aye, that's a bit, that wasn't very that was yeah, aye, they, it's a bit distasteful. They, they they took that too far, I think. But you know, for for the character Punk was, what what a brilliant idea to have him go for the tombstone and try and execute it and then he ends up getting turned upside down That's and right. Taker performs it on him. I just thought that was a, a really good sequence to, mm. to end what had been a really, really impressive match. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's. Um, I think, you know, it's it's got the power element for a big guy. It's got the, um, certainly to, to a good extent, the uh, the fact that you don't expect somebody to kick out of it, which I think makes it more impressive in the instances where people have. Um, and I think it really epitomised the character. I, d- I don't know, you know, you, you obviously had Kane take on the move, but there was the natural link. They, they were storyline brothers. I don't know how well the move would have worked on a different character. It just worked for him. Definitely did. I think I associate Tombstone with grey gloves and, and black um, yeah. uh, clothed uh, Undertaker um, from his very early run. Um, and although obviously he, he still does it, I think when I think about the Tombstone, I think about then. And like you say, it, it just seems they seem to fit each other perfectly. Yeah. Um, I don't know who came up with that, even calling it a Tombstone. It just, it's just perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't find anything out about who named it. So, uh, let's give it to John Laurinaitis. Yeah, but why not? I mean, he's, MVP, he's, he's yeah. clearly the the finisher guy. So yeah. Um, I, th- I think uh, like I don't think we, we've talked about 
um, moves getting wore down a little bit, and I don't think Kane executing it did that. If anything, no. it ju- it made it just as strong. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know the fact that the Undertaker used to do the eyes and the tongue out and all that when he was pinning after he'd yeah and crossing the the hands over the chest and Aye. yeah uh, adds the was... kind of mystique and yeah the powerful the power of it and uh, and also added to when somebody did kick out it which tended to be a real big shock and a really big match yeah um, uh, good choice as well good choice again I like that. Um, so I, my number two was the F5. So um, before we get into our number ones, do you want to, have you got any honourable mentions there? Um, the, the, the ones, uh, I, I talked about uh, the frog splash and the spear. The other ones, there were a few that jumped into my mind that I didn't go for. Um, I always loved uh, Macho Man's flying elbow drop. Oh, um, yeah. And there was, again, something about it, it seemed quite grand, him doing it. You know, he would pose in the corner and then drop it. Um, I, I, I loved that move. And I also loved the perfect plex. Oh, yeah. The, the fisherman suplex. My, my only issue was, with it was if he was ever in there against a massive guy, I'd just be looking thinking, well, he can't, he can't do his move, mm. so how's he going to win? But, um, yeah, th- those were a couple that sprang to my mind. What about you? Mine's are, I've got a couple here that are a bit more um, uh, up-to-date, like current wrestlers. Um, yeah. Don't know if you've seen uh, Cedric Alexander does something called a lumbar check. He essentially throws them up in the air and they come down on his knees. He's lying on his back and they come oh, down okay. his knees. It's, it just looks really brutal. Um, you couldn't do that to everybody, but it's cool when they're doing their kind of flippy stuff. Yep. Um, not the most um, not the most popular wrestler in the world, but Baron Corbin's got a great finishing move called End of Days. Yes. Uh, I don't know. It just looks brilliant. Um, maybe on on someone else, you know, like on somebody that's a bit more over, it would get a bit more love. But I think yeah. it's a really cool move. It's a good name as well. I like the name. Of that. Yeah. And uh, a recent one that I feel that WWE have um, put over, but which they've been doing with the character is Drew's um, claymore kick. Yeah. Which is becoming its own kind of thing, where um, you know he can hit that from anywhere. Uh, change completely change, change a match in an instant. Uh, I think I, I was going to say to you, I'm going to try and keep away from moves where anybody is required to slap their thigh for it to look <laughs> cool. But um, I let Drew off because he's he's our <laughs> Scottish brother. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was my. Uh, I, I was really close to putting the end of days in, but I think it was just the fact that Corbin used to look like a barista that um, put me off. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so we've got to number one um, I've got a funny feeling that we maybe have, we've maybe done the same again than what we did with our Intercontinental uh, list and we've got the same one but let's see um, what you got for number one yeah I've got the uh, the stunner the stone cold stunner I've got the Kevin Owens stunner. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I've got stunner too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that could happen. Um, yeah, it was actually, it played a part in me not going for the RKO just because I, I kind of associate them as being quite similar, although they are 
different, you know, they, they look different and all that, but I suppose the idea for one maybe comes from the other and yeah. things like that. So yeah, so yeah um, I don't know if you want me to give a, a bit of background. Yeah, um, go for it, yeah. So this is... Uh, a, also, my research told me that the credit for this goes to, to John Laurinaitis. No John way. Ace. Does it really? Yeah. Yep. Um, is this because of his ace crusher? Y- yes, it is. Yeah, so it'd be the same same sort of line as the, the RKO would have gone through. Um, so it's described as a three-quarter face lock jawbreaker. Oh, um, it didn't have a cool name. Um, well, it had the Ace Crusher, and I don't mean to be mean to John Laurinaitis, but I do think there's quite a lot in a name um, for a move. <laughs> and uh, Ace Crusher, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when I was just starting to get back really into wrestling... Um, Stone Cold was just beca- he was just starting to emerge as the the main guy, um, and I, we talked previously about you know the move somehow just suiting the the performer, and there's something about the the stunner and it's not you know when there's the RKO it's this you know sudden the out of nowhere with Austin I don't know probably ninety eight percent of his stunners there'd be a kick to the gut to bend the guy over that was normally, you know, giving him the fingers and then uh, performing the move. And it just all ran together and it, it somehow just summed up who the character was. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what he was... Perf- I think when he first came in, because he was, what, the ringmaster when he yeah. first came into WWF? With, with the Million Dollar Man. Yeah, and he he was performing a version of the Million Dollar Dream yep. um, submission move, and he he needed a proper finisher. So um, split credit on this one because uh, much as Johnny Ace came up with the the basis of the move, it was apparently Michael Hayes, Michael P. S. Hayes, oh, yeah. who suggested that Austin needed a new finisher, his own finisher, not a you know version of the the Million Dollar Dream, and suggested that he used this move. Um, so he, he started trying it out. He started working it on house shows and things like that, and it started getting a reaction. Um, it is another one of these moves that I believe is completely safe. I, I've never really heard of of people having a, a lot of trouble with it, but it, it looks really good. It, it it looks like it it could hurt you. Um, it not, you know, a bit of a contrast to things like the the leg drop or the uh, people's elbow or anything like that. It, it looks like a legitimate finishing move. Um, and I think it would be pretty safe to say that it was well protected over the years because much as, you know, people have kicked out of it, that was rare. That was yeah. very rare. Pro- probably the most protected uh, finishing move in, in, in WWE, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit... It's, whenever, certainly in, in uh, you know, like in, in Austin's... Heyday in the kind of uh, late nineties and early two thousands when he hit that kick to the gut, um, the crowd you could you could feel the excitement from the crowd and people standing up and uh, ah, it's just one of those ones that just kind of um, I don't know it just explodes excitement sort of thing. Yeah. Um, whenever he hits it, it's very much like what we were talking about there with Undertaker and the Tombstone. It's a perfect move f- to fit the performer. Yeah, yeah. I've got um, 
memories of I think you know that we talked previously about the selling being important and the, the you know brilliant performer you know in the all time category. Please, please, the, no, you're not the, going to say what I think you're going to say. The the way the Rock used no. to sell this time. <laughs> no, he he overdid it a bit. <laughs> Be flipping all over the place and things <laughs> like that. You know, half the time it'd be performed in, you know, one side of the ring and the rock's legs would end up tangled up in the ropes on the other side. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, he was an entertainer. He was selling the move. Um, but my, you know, least, the, the one I would have to criticise most for the selling of the stunner would have to be Vince every single time it was done. It's kind of collapsed, didn't he? And he, he would be like laying there shaking and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I really yeah. like the way Shane McMahon used to sell it. Um, yeah. I mean, Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon sold a lot of things, um, particularly <laughs> when it involved him falling twenty or thirty feet. But um, yeah, if if he sold the the stunner really well. Yeah. Um, what about Scott Hall selling it? No. Did Scott Hall do a bit of a flip as well? Scott I'm Hall did to... like a kind of. Uh, he took it <gasps> and he just stood there. Almost then, like he was stunned. And then he took it again. Is yep. that? Uh, yep. Just kind of like, like jumped on his bum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the rock selling it. I may be taking it a bit seriously, but nah, I don't like that. It, Rolling about he, like an idiot. I think he he sells it in a mania main event the way that you would expect somebody to sell it at a house show. Aye, aye. That's a really good way of describing Kind of playing it for laughs a bit. Um yeah, he, he did overdo it. And I remember, I can't remember which one of their Mania matches it was, but there was one where they performed each other's finisher on, on the other. Um, would have been Rock Bottom, not People's Elbow. Um, and Rock did a, a stunner on Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I don't know, at the time it just seemed really weird seeing somebody else do the move. But again, it's, I don't think it's been overused. You know, you mentioned Kevin Owens who does it. I don't think there's been, you know, a, a whole host of people trying to perform it. But yeah. um, it's, I think you, you kind of summed up when you said it just fits the character. It's it's just right that it's his move. Yeah. You know, you were talking about, um, like, people getting hurt from it. Um, we're just the, at the start of the show there, we put a wee clip on uh, about Austin talking about the stunner and he, he was saying... Didn't be hanging your tongue out of your mouth like your Michael Jordan shooting a basketball because oh. you'll end up chopping it off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one of these moves, a bit like the pedigree, in that it's like it's a, a worked move. It obviously needs to be a work move, although I can remember uh, back at school when people used to run up and batter you in the balls and expect you to bend over <laughs> like, like they were going to hit you with a stunner. Um, but it's a worked move and but it, it just it's just a perfect move and I yeah. think the fact that he's able to come back after retiring and keep coming out at Wrestlemania and, and different shows when he was commissioner and he can still hit people with it yeah. um, regardless of, of why he's had to retire and it still gets the biggest crowd reaction of the night most Absolutely. times Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. So, yeah, I, I think um, I, it, when we talked about doing this subject that was one of the ones that immediately sprang to mind because it, it just kind of has everything. Yeah, no, it definitely does, and I think that that whole thing around storyline and and it being protected and all that it, it all goes together. It's all rolled up in a package, but at the end of the day, it's just a cool move. Yeah. Okay. Nice. 
That was good. Um, what did we miss? There's probably a million um, moves that we missed, but if you are listening and you have a very special move that you, you think that we missed, then give us a shout, comment on our on our Instagram page. We're at, um, at Middle Age Outlaws on Instagram. So yeah, give us a wee comment. Let us know what we missed. Um, so looking forward, Adam, the Royal Rumble's coming up 31st of January. Um, yeah. What would you tell people to listen to if they were looking for a podcast to listen to before they were getting ready for this Royal Rumble? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure what people want to do is, you know, remind themselves of what the the best Royal Rumble matches out there are. Um, So I I think you you would want to find that kind of information on a podcast, ideally. Just uh, then you can do a little bit of comparison about what this year's is like compared to what some of our favourites were. That's a great idea. That's a really great idea. Uh, if I was if I was someone listening to this, I would go back and listen to episode two um, of this podcast. I'd go back and listen to our top five Rumble matches. Um, so yeah, for our next episode, we are going to go with another top five. Um, we're going to go with a specific wrestler. The, the voice of the voiceless, am I making that up? Was no, it, I think I think that on? was that was definitely one of the phrases. Yeah, the um, the the leader of the Straight Edge Society, uh, the man that took Colt Cabana to court over a podcast. <laughs> um, we're yeah. going to go with our our top five CM Punk matches. Um, I, I, I'm really enjoying this. I, I think I didn't really watch wrestling at a time when Punk either came in or became popular yeah um so i'm really enjoying going back and watching some of these matches yeah i think i i was watching but maybe not paying attention you know i would um skip through raw or smackdown just watch bits and pieces and things like that and i remember him emerging on the ecw show the the wwe's version of the ecw show yeah um and he he just became something that was that hadn't been there for a few years, something quite exciting. Um, and he he had this charisma and this personality. And, you know, when, when you can tell sometimes people are faking it and, you know, somebody's trying to play a character that doesn't mm. really reflect who they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I think Punk just came across as, yeah, not everyone's going to like me. I don't really care about that. I'm... You know, here to do my thing. I'm here to put on a show. I'm here to prove I'm the best. And I think that was all real, you know. Yeah. Um, and he, there just wasn't a lot that felt real at the time. Um, and then, you know, some some of his his matches, um, a few pretty significant promos along the way, um, definitely worth looking at and talking about. Yeah, I think these days he's probably more known or more infamous for his promos than yeah. his matches and I think that's been part of the joy of going back and watching some of these matches he's really good in the ring yeah and I think um, you know I, I didn't have or I didn't watch you know Ring of Honor or anything like that when when he was coming up through there and obviously he was up against some brilliant opponents brilliantly skilled when you talk about people like uh, Daniel Bryan um, AJ Styles Samoa Joe and you know he was having these matches against those kind of workers 
and from everything I read and hear since they were, you know, tearing the house down all over the place in terms of match quality, given something that I don't think would have been there in WWE at the time. Yeah. Um, so there's there'll be a hell of a lot out there of his that was so good pre WWE that I've never seen, which is a shame and it's the kind of thing if it was easily accessible I would quite like to go back and watch. Yeah, no same. Um oh well, I'll look forward to that. That's gonna be good that's gonna be good fun. Um, so we'll get to that in a couple of weeks yep Um, until then thanks for listening Uh, stay safe everybody and uh, until next time take it easy cheers Adam cheers everyone cheers